Hey guys, before we get into the episode, it blows my mind that we're launching another podcast. And this time, I actually want to feature you guys as a guest. Now, if you're a six-figure entrepreneur who has your own podcast and you listen to the show, I actually want to interview you on our brand new podcast, which is called Six Figure Podcast Rebels. You just need to go to www.top100interview.com and you can apply to get featured. All right, guys, back to the show. Start to diversify. Like diversify where you are, especially once your business is established. Um, because I just, I do see some writing on the wall for several different platforms. And if you're just beginning, you don't have to worry as much about it because it's not going to impact you as much. Um, but if you're in a place where you're starting to be successful, start diversifying. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and thought, wow, I really thought I'd be further ahead by now. If so, you are not alone. I've spent the last two years traveling the globe looking for the answers. The problem is, it's fear of failure that was holding me and so many of you back. I realized that no one was telling the real story of entrepreneurship. So I flew to the US, decided to face my fear and go all out to build my million dollar business completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey and find out as we build our online tribe and share the internet's top marketing secrets. My name is Jamie Atkinson and this is the Entrepreneur Junkie Movement. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Junkie Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Atkinson, the Podcast Junkie, and I'm honestly super excited and um, a little apprehensive about today's interview. And the only reason I'm apprehensive is that um, I know that the guest I have today is a huge personal influence on me. Um, you guys know my story right back when I first really found what I was going after with the podcast at Funnel Hacking Live. Um, Rachel, who is my guest today, is one of the first people that made me really question about the purpose of what I was doing. And she made me question myself and say, if not now, when? when it comes to the impact that I want to have. And my guest today, if you didn't already know who she is, is an amazing rock star when it comes to everything social media. All of her followers refer to her beautifully as the queen of social media. She has a massive, massive following. She's probably one of the most uh, influential um, funnel hacking live speakers that's ever graced the stage. And she's as modest as they come. So I'm sure she'll probably deny all the things that I just said. So please welcome my guest today, Rachel Peterson. Rachel, how are you doing? Jamie, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm going to deny everything you said, but I'm, I'm going to try not to. So I'm just going to say thank you so much for all of your kind words. <laughs> no, you're, you're very welcome. And Rachel, I'm, I'm super appreciative to have you on the show, mainly because, um, and we were just talking about this before we came on air, um, you love to answer hard questions. You love to really give people the honest truth. And that's a lot of what I really love about the modern way of entrepreneurship, right? There's a lot of people out there who... A couple of years ago, you would check out their Instagram profiles and they would be, you know, in Hawaii or in all these beautiful places and things look like they're absolutely fantastic. And behind closed doors, absolutely bedlam is ensuing. And I know that you've been through your own challenges with entrepreneurship and your family. So before we get into this interview, because there's a bunch of stuff I would love to ask you about, can for anybody listening who maybe <laughs> for the two people who don't know who you are, could you just give us a little <laughs> introduction into who Rachel Peterson is and how you got started in this whole journey? 
For sure. So I am first and foremost, a Minnesota mom of three. I have a nine-year-old, five-year-old and a one-year-old and I'm done having kids in case anyone is wondering, but I got into this journey of entrepreneurship just about four years ago. I've been full-time in it for three and a half years, which is pretty exciting. Um, and my businesses have grown really quickly. Um, I, it doesn't feel like it was fast. It felt like it was a really long journey, but I started everything with organic social media and kind of ramped up into other facets of marketing, paid advertising, but I am obsessed with organic social media. I have a digital marketing agency and I teach people how to become social media managers. I'm the one thing I love about everything that you do, Rachel, is that you kind of cater to both ends of the spectrum. Um, mm -hmm. Recently, I came to a decision in my business that I had to focus on one thing. And what I kind of really admire about you is that, that you have one side of your business, which is really there to help the people that really need the help, that are struggling, that can't find traction. And you have this really amazing low cost um, training, which blows people away. And then right on the other end, you have these very high end people that need, you know, the spending the hundreds of thousands and ten thousands of dollars every month on the actual Facebook marketing. What made you decide to go through two different angles? Because a lot of people say you should just focus on the one, right? Yeah, you know, I will say that there was a lot of advice to only focus on one. And that advice has come up over and over and over again. Um, and it's really challenging. I want to be so honest about that. People are like, oh, well, Rachel built two businesses. I'm sure I can too. Yeah, you can. But I spent years working 100 hours a week. You know, like there were tons of all-nighters. And I want to be honest about that because building two businesses is really hard. <laughs> so not to mention, you know, like a husband and three kids like there wasn't much time for anything else besides family and business for quite a few years and so the reason that i wanted to build both is because i love what i do i love creating crazy organic social media campaigns i love putting paid advertising behind organic and just like marrying the two i get so i geek out on it i mean i have so much fun with organic social even just for myself um and then seeing how do we turn this into something that actually we can monetize like right now my obsession is tiktok and even last <laughs> night i put up a video and it has had like ninety six thousand views since last night and i'm like oh i just i love this thrill um and so i love that side of the business and we quickly realized that we were able to get a lot of traction for clients um i was actually looking at my we have a wins folder of all of our client wins from throughout the years and I went back and I was like holy crap like we've done some really great things and Google's like hey you need more storage space on your wins folder it's maxed out right now pretty much it was crazy like we just literally have all of these screenshots and like a whole um, file where we just we recap all our wins and I was looking at it and I was like wow we've gotten some amazing results and that would be great but not every single client you come across has like a mission to impact the world the way that we would like to. I mean, I would love to say that that's the case, but there are a lot of clients that just want to make a lot of money. And there were days where that felt really empty, to be honest. You know, when someone would come to me and say, basically, I just want an ATM machine because I want to buy this wing of my daughter's school so I can name it after her so she can walk down. And I was like, okay, you know, I just need something more. Like I need to know that I'm actually making an impact, not just for the already wealthy. And so then I created Social Media United because I love broke people. And I know that that sounds crazy, but I just, I feel them. And I, I remember so, so in depth what it felt like 
to have absolutely nothing and to feel like no one believed in me and to feel like there were no options available. So I even try to put out as much free content as I can because if someone takes that and uses it, it just feels like, okay, this was all worthwhile. It's one thing I've really tried to model from what you've done is the, and it's difficult to model, but the amount of heart that you put in your communities. And one thing that I, that I look at and I really respect, and I would love to ask a question about this is that your communities are diehard Rachel fans. Like they would, you know, fight and rage in the streets. Like they would take a fight against a prison riot to protect you <laughs> and what you have going on. You know what I mean? Like they're with yeah. their blue shirts on ready to tear them apart. And I, I love that. And I think that's amazing. And I, I really respect it. But what I'm curious about is what, what was the point where when you were launching and when you were creating your first kind of success because initially I was blown away because I remember sitting and listening to you nine months ago saying only two and a half years ago I started and I was like what that's crazy and what was the turning point for you when you started to get traction online and you started to create this following I'm super curious about mass movements and this is a lot what the show is about when did you start to find that people started to become attracted to you and, and what was the catalyst to that okay so I'm going to go back to a story from when I went to hair school and you know, most of the time I've never been like the most popular person in places, but I would say I've always been well liked and I went to hair school and I remember this was a phase in my life where like we literally didn't even have money for heat at Christmas and it was cold. I mean, it was, I don't know, I think what negative 20 celsius so it would get so cold at night we even had negative 30 celsius nights and we didn't have heat and i remember when i went to this hair school i wanted to pretend like i had everything together and so i put on this like facade for the first time in my life and it was the first time in my life that i felt absolutely hated it was really interesting. I remember these girls spread a rumor that like I was born to a rich dad and that I had a silver spoon in my mouth from birth. And like, it was so bizarre because I was like, I'm still me. But then there was kind of this thing that clicked when I started building my business where I was like, why is it that it was so different there? Why was it that these girls just hated my guts? And I realized it was because I was wearing a mask. Like I was pretending like everything was together and you know, there are days where I think in entrepreneurship, I've wanted to do that. I've wanted to pretend like everything's always awesome and easy, but it's not. And there are so it's a series of challenges. There are so many challenges that come up and I realized I have to share that. Otherwise we go back to that place where people think, oh, she just has it all figured out and her life is so perfect and da, 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 da. You have to intentionally showcase like, listen, I had a breakdown yesterday and it sucked. Or, you know, I went to the soccer game and my daughter yelled from the field, mom, stop working. And all the moms looked at me and it was like, when I started sharing those stories, I was like, this is what people need. They need real in the face of so much overly polished photo shoots. You know, they just need to see what truth looks like. Do you feel there's a shift in the marketing space right now where transparency is becoming the new trend? And does that scare you a little bit? Good question. I actually wrote my series of uh, 2020 predictions the other night, and I shared that it is not necessarily 
driven by marketers, it's driven by consumers. And I think a lot of marketers aren't catching on to it. And being honest, I think that it's a great shift and I feel it and I see it, but it's being driven because consumers are like, I'm tired of being tricked. I'm tired of feeling like I'm duped and all of that. And so I think it's consumer driven. They're looking for signs of life, signs of, you know, like, is there, is there real. a heart? They want real. Yeah, they absolutely do. Um, it doesn't worry me that it's going to become a trend because when someone is like afraid or in a, in a hard place, being vulnerable is one of the hardest things in the entire world. Like, I actually don't worry that that's going to be what everyone does because if people know how hard it is to actually do it, they're going to be like, yeah, that's a trend. I don't really want to, I hope it passes. But I actually believe this is a shift in the market. Like people are begging for authenticity and signs of congruency. I think it's really interesting. And um, one, one thing that I'm super curious about, because you had this um, kind of monumental growth and, and we just talked about the fact that you had these really hard moments where you were had this split focus. And uh, quite honestly, there's a lot of people who listen to the show who are going through those early teething stages of just launching their business. And they're probably feeling a lot of those pain points right now. And what I would love to know is when you were in those difficult and frustrating moments, like what was that like? Like what was some of the really low points that you went through during that shift of massive growth? Oh, there's a couple that come to mind. I love that question. Um, one was the day that I uh, left my nine to five. Um, I submitted notice and literally within a day or two, I got a, a, an email from my biggest client and she's like, I'm ending our services. And I was so scared because suddenly this thing that felt like a risk was truly a risk. And I was so, I was just like, freaking out. I was like crying. I was trying to connect with anyone I could. Um, and during that time I actually wrote like a children's book. And the reason I did that wasn't for kids. It was for me. And it was this <laughs> whole book called what if, and it's this book where like this, this woman, she has this dream and her friends are like, what if it fails? Like, what if this goes wrong? What if this happens? And she takes them on this journey of like, well, there's a lot of things that could happen. What if I get pregnant? What if I have triplets? What if we lose our house? What if we get a new one? What if I win the lottery? What if dinosaurs come back? Like there's so many things that we can sit here and say, what if about? And so like, I remember in my dining room in our last house, I wrote all of the different things and I storyboarded it and then we had it all across our dining room and I left it up for months because that was like the only thing keeping me, you know, in the game. And so that was one of the big moments that was really tough. And I think what was interesting is I would literally be crying stressed and then I would like wipe my tears and like put on some mascara and hop on a call with someone and just like serve them and be like, crap, that's not a client either. Okay. And I would just like sit there and like serve my heart out on calls and you know, it ultimately did work out, but there were moments where I was like, I have no idea. So that's one that comes to mind. But the second one that comes to mind is the day that Paul left his nine to five and not many people know this story, but I drove to his job on his last day and I put my head on his desk and started sobbing and I was like you can't leave tell him you were just kidding please like, no this is our last safety net now it's all on me and I'm so scared and he's like okay crazy like I'm coming home in a few hours and I'm done but that was like <laughs> like I was just a mess because I was like this means it's all in like that is so scary 
And so those are a couple of moments like building that come to mind. And it, it's so hard because like you want to like post and be like, can someone just show me like, give me some kind of encouragement, but you almost don't even know what to ask. You know, you're like, how do I ask without looking like this crazy idiot that's falling apart? And so I would listen to podcasts from people who had gone before me. I would listen to YouTube videos on repeat. And that's actually a practice I still do every single day. I listen to motivational YouTube videos. I listen to how-tos. I look for roadmaps. Um, and that's been a really helpful part of those tough days. I love that. And talk to me a little bit about what that story did for you, because I, I think that's a really interesting approach that not a lot of people would would usually go down right a lot of people will turn to television or you know or burying their head right like when I went through a similar moment I signed up for the two comma club x and my only client rang me up and was like hey I'm gonna need a two thousand dollar refund and I had three weeks of just crying and, and just being depressed and, and immovable until the final week where I got my act together because I was like wow if I can't get the money I'm not gonna eat so I, I kind of went through this burying my head in the sand moment. So what, what was the purpose behind the book and, and why did that drive you? You know, at the time I didn't really, I don't think I knew how powerful that was going to be and how there's probably a day where we'll publish it and it's going to end up being like a book that people are like, oh, that's such a cool story behind it. You know, um, I wrote it and at that time, I thought I was writing the book for kids to inspire them. And I was like, you know, even if my clients aren't working out, I can write this book. And I started like talking to self-publishing companies. And what it did is it helped me to not give up. You know, it just helped me like to recognize, okay, well, there's always some hope. There's always something else. And no one was interested in publishing my book. Like, you know what I mean? It was not even close. But at the same time, I had to look at it every single day. And I'm sitting here thinking, I wrote this for the children. But truth be told, I wrote it for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I know 20,000 people who would probably buy that book if you put it up for sale. But <laughs> that's okay. It's not a problem. So, um, so I'm super curious now. And I want to shift up gears a little bit because um, we've talked a lot about um, yeah. where you got started and, and the challenges that were presented. And then suddenly out the blue, you're on stage at Funnel Hacking Live, pregnant, we might say. And uh, <laughs> one of the most vivid moments, whenever anybody says to me, who is Rachel? Apart from the TikTok where you turn around and, and uh, are talking about Paul, that's the one that sticks with me the most. <laughs> Apart from that one, um, the other moment that sticks with me is the, the moment where you're hanging <laughs> your Two Comma Club award on the wall and you see this deep breath out and your shoulders drop and you can just see in that half a second clip all of the hard work that you put in to get to that moment. There's then been a shift, right? So you've, you've gone to that level, you've, you've climbed the mountain, you've reached that peak. And then um, the, the next probably year and a half after that, there was some interesting changes that you kind of went through. And I know from hearing you speak, you said that you brought Paul in and he became your boss. And you kind of had yep. that funny joke about saying he was the only person that managed to sleep his way to the top was him, not you. <laughs> uh, yep. which I great. What, what were some challenges that you went through in those moments? Because I, I think a lot of people think that to get to two comma club is the goal and they feel like it yeah. will get easier. But I hear from everybody that has actually got there that it only gets more difficult. So what was that like for you? You know, that's such a good question because we did our first two comma club award in two years. Um, like it took me two years to get the momentum to make it happen. <clears throat> our second one came in 10 months 
um, am I doing that right? Am I trying to do the math right? Two years, no, two years, one year. And then the next one came in 10 months. And now we're like on a race, not based on the money, but based on just kind of like forward momentum. Um, we're on a race to hit our first million dollar month. And that one's really hard. And what's interesting is after the first two comma club award, like after you make your first million, all of a sudden you realize that you are the person that is the, the bottleneck and the resistance for everything. Like you would love to start like blaming team for things that go wrong. You'd love to like be able to have someone else take responsibility for something. But what was so crazy is from that moment, it was like, oh dang it. Now I'm taking responsibility for everything in my life. And it's gotten to the point where I'm starting to be like, oh my gosh, everything comes down to me in, in our business. Like every single thing. Oh, that customer's mad. Okay. Did I pre-frame right? Did I make sure the delivery was on point? Did I? And so we always have to go back to me now. And so that's a little bit of, I mean, it's a massive, it's a massive challenge. A lot and of pressure. Yeah. There are some days where I'm just like, can I just like cry and feel bad for myself and have chocolate ice cream? And once in a while I do take those days, but at the same at the same point, uh, on the same token, I guess, like I want to grow and it has nothing to do with the money anymore. It has everything to do with like, that's just a sign of like the level of capacity I've grown to. So the challenges now are like, do I have the discipline that this requires? Do I have the kind of intentionality? Am I showing up the way that I need to? Am I delivering with excellence? Am I a, a woman of my word? You know, <clears throat> all of those things come up and that's like one of the hardest things is it feels like everything moving forward is all about the leader. Am I being a leader in my actions and thoughts and communication? And a lot of that came up over the last year and a half and realizing I thought I was amazing at communicating and turns out that's a skill set I wasn't as good at as I thought, you know, with my team and with my family. So I think it's yeah. hard because as you grow, you'll you're, you're essentially rapidly moving into something that in a traditional job, somebody mm -hmm. is being groomed for over a 10 or a 15 year period. You know, the, the, the CEO of a major corporation doesn't just land there within two years of starting something. He's there for a long time. So we definitely think that there's some slack to be cut there. But what, what I'm kind of curious about, and from my own selfish reasons, um, just to tell you a story, you know, yeah. we've been growing fast, but um, not as fast as other people. But one thing that I recently did was that my girlfriend now works with me in my company and she is now my operations manager or the real boss as we call it and she yep. makes all the proper decisions but um, we found that there's been a lot of tests on our relationship and there's been a lot of moments where we go to bed and we're still talking about the business and some days where she's just sick of it being the Jamie show and sick of hearing my voice on the videos and being around me. And I know that the, um, from what you've told me in the past that you and Paul have been through challenges of yourself. What is probably the, the biggest takeaway that you've got from um, experiencing and growing together in a business? What, what's the big takeaway that you think you would like to share? Good question. So before we started working together was when I did the first million myself. Um, and I really do mean that. That sounds so horrible to say, but it was without like a, a team pretty much, um, without Paul, without 
the rock stars I have around me now. Um, and so like our marriage had reached like a breaking point and that's when he started to get involved in the business and kind of came in and he's learning the ropes too. He's never been the COO of a multi-million dollar business before. And so he's learning everything for the first time too. And so one of our biggest takeaways lately um, has been it's okay if we have intense conversations about the business, but when we walk away from the business, like when we walk away from our, our computers at the end of the day, whatever time that is, it's, we have to start fresh as family. And so we don't get to be mad at each other about something that we didn't agree about in our business. Cause those things come up. If anyone thinks like, Oh, you guys must just like get along all the time. No, we have very, very radically different viewpoints about a lot of things. And so there are intense uh, conversations where I'm feeling passionate about one thing and he's feeling passionate about the exact opposite, but then we have to be family. And so that was huge for us. And sometimes we do talk about business at night and at dinner and everything. But when we walk away from the business, we have to be just a couple. That's mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. when, when it came to you um, being where you were at, running the business yourself, it being your baby, growing it to a million dollars. And then you had to have this position to hand off control and, and to step back, I guess, from certain aspects and to, and to let Paul do his thing. How did you make the decision on what he should be responsible for and, and what you had to let go? And was there any resistance there? Oh yeah, tons. Um, there's still resistance. And that's, that's what I mean by like, you suddenly have to take responsibility for yourself. Um, for example, I love spending more money on business. I love it. Like I love putting money into ads and hiring away all these services. And Paul is the opposite. Paul likes to put a lot of money in savings and have a massive uh, cushion and like we're kind of opposite there. So that's going to always be our battle, but it's actually a good battle to have. And so when it comes to things that are his responsibility, it's some of them are joint, but the things that are his responsibility, um, my mentor, Bart Miller gave me some great advice on this. And he said, um, that's Paul's office. You have your office. He has his office and you can give feedback and give advice. But at the end of the day, it's Paul's decision because it's his office. And so you have to back off and respect <clears throat> ultimately what he decides. And so the only tough thing is like finances because I want to scale, 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 like let's spend more. And he, his, his intentions are amazing because he wants to ultimately make sure that at the end of the day, our family's safe mm -hmm. and that we're protected. Whereas I could reinvest and reinvest over and over and over again because i yeah. think it's so fun risk taker rachel right let's go <laughs> you know it <laughs> but risk taking is really fun when you're not the person who has to actually pay the bills you know like that's his job so he has to make sure that there's you know finances in place for all of our bills and then for our dreams too so when it comes to giving up control i'm pretty good at that once i trust somebody um and so when I started trusting Paul with the decisions of like personnel and hiring and operations, it was like, okay, good, take that. But when it comes to finances, I think I still don't fully trust myself with understanding how it's all going to look as we scale this crazy business, you know? So yeah, it, it's still a challenge. For anybody that's trying to structure a team and anybody mm -hmm. that's going through these difficult decisions, um, how do you make the decision on 
what you do versus what other people do? Good question. So there are two books. Actually, there's one book that really helped me with this, and it's called Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. And it's really short. I read really fast and I forget that like other people are like, can you please not give us so many book recommendations? But this one's really <laughs> short, fast read, digestible action steps. And they have this process called, it's the four D's. It's do, delegate, defer, and dump. And so everything that you have on your to-do list, you need to categorize it. Do I need to do this? Can I delegate it to someone else? And so my team and I both have this process of pulling as much as we can off my do plate because the less that I have to do, the more we're going to get done and the faster things are going to get done. And so literally once in a while I share probably once a week, I share my list with them and I say, what can you pull off my plate? And then they'll go in and grab their things. Um, but then I also am pretty now vigilant about delegating because I never thought about it that way. If I don't tell someone else to do it, it ends up in my do bucket. And that means we're going to have a lot of work to do. So I don't prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I heard a, I listened to a great podcast this morning by Alex Sharfen, and he was talking about being a passenger in your business. And once you get to a certain level, you almost want to be able to step back from meetings and from all of those um, kind of doing actions in the business so that you can live that kind of creative uh, leader that you want to be. Um, as you go into the future, Rachel, and as you continue to scale and, and aim for that million dollar month, do you see your role changing at all? Like what, what do you feel like the future looks like for you? Good question. There's another book that we read called Clockwork. I love Clockwork so much. It's by Mike McAllitz and my friend, um, Adrian Dorison. And, um, in that book, they talk, they boiled everything down to each business has a queen bee role. And in the queen bee role, that's like the thing that has to happen no matter what. And so I was supposed to write down all of the things I do and I did on post-its. My team had to sit with me to make sure I did this exercise because I was like, I don't want to do this. Like this is so <laughs> stressful. So I wrote down everything that I did and then they made me one at a time remove one and we got down to the final ones. And then it was, what is the one thing that only I can do? And we came down to our queen bee role and our queen bee role is video. No one can replace my, my voice and my face on video. Um, but people can replace my writing, people can replace my engagement, like, and that was so painful for me, you know, like pulling those post-its away, but just remembering, like, that's the only thing that I truly am responsible for is video. And over time, people are going to take over everything else. Um, I have a feeling that we're going to get to a place in our business where I'm literally recording videos batched probably like once a month for the business. And then in my spare time. Um, I'm going to be creating new businesses. <laughs> That's probably what I see. <laughs> just, yeah, just because you can and it's fun, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why not? What, what, does, never, what did you... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I've never wanted to work less than 60 hours a week. I don't... I couldn't see myself doing that. I just don't want to, so. That's interesting. What, what, mm -hmm. what does your day-to-day -day look like right now? Because I'm super curious with, like, mm -hmm. when you get to the office, like, do you have certain things you do on certain days or... Good question. Sometimes we do and some seasons we don't. So for example, we like with podcasts, we try to batch them um, on certain days, but we make exceptions in in-betweens and we usually do those like once a quarter. Um, but most days I wake up between five and seven 
five is the rarity. That's really hard for me, um, but seven works. And I do a quick workout, just enough to get like my blood flowing, not like a real good workout, but just a quick one in my house. Um, I do meditation. I do some reading. I spend some time in silence and I journal. And that that's not like the golden um, morning routine for everyone. That's just what I found really, really works for me. Um, and then nine o'clock is when my official workday starts. So I hit the ground running with two hours of serving people. That's how we start almost every single day. Um, sometimes I can get it done in one hour, but usually it's two hours of serving. And I always start with serving. And a lot of times people ask like, do you batch all your content? Do you put, you know, like, do you have it way planned out? Do people help you? I do uh, all of my content except for my Instagram posts. So I do all my own content and that's because I love it. I love that it's an opportunity to serve. And so I look for every single opportunity to serve in all of our groups, all of my profiles, everywhere that I can record a podcast. Um, sometimes I write blogs, but I don't necessarily have specific days for each of those things because I like to do them every day. It keeps me really sharp. And then um, we have certain days for calls with like my, my mastermind. Um, on Mondays, we do something really fun, which is hard skills, where they get to come behind the scenes and watch me do the, what I do behind the scenes um, with advanced marketing. And then Thursdays, we have their calls, but everything else can shift from day to day. Um, but generally speaking, we have notes on the calendar, like today is a good blog day, um, good day for podcasts. And that's like my reminders for those days. Surprise, you've got Chinese food. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I wish, right? No, that'd be cool. Sorry about that. So, um, That's okay. so, I, I'm, so I love that. I'm, I'm super curious about serving because this is one of the, apart from um, purpose, um, probably one of the biggest things that I took away from what you do, Rachel, is, mm -hmm. um, is actually that idea of serving, doing everything you can to be that person that everybody looks at in the community as this person cares right? And really, really cares about what's going on. With those two hours every day, what, what, what do you do that's different to other people? And what would you recommend for people listening to try and do? Um, so it's different for every person. Consistency is more important than um, being on every single platform. I happen to be on a lot of platforms. So I literally, I will write like an email to my list. I do that every, almost every single day. Um, I'll write an email to my list. I write posts for my Facebook, for LinkedIn, for my Facebook page, for potentially sometimes they use them for Instagram. I do Instagram stories. I go into every single Facebook group. I live stream into my masterminds Facebook group almost every single day, first thing in the morning when I'm on the computer. Um, what else? I, so I plan out a few TikToks, but that's always my last thing. So if I don't get to it, it I don't get to it that day because that's the least important of where we can serve, but it still is something we hit several times a week. So I just go through every single platform and I say, how can I give value here? Is it a Facebook Live? Is it a written post that encourages? And that's made a huge difference in our business. Wow, no, I love that. And I'm, I'm super um, interested about everything you've just said, but I, I could just listen and talk to you about all of the stuff that you do day to day. But what I wanna actually shift to is what originally captured my attention when I heard you speak for the very first time, which was on um, talking about impact. And this was a profound thing that happened and it, and it 
it sat with me for a long time and, and not in the way I expected. I initially heard what you said and, and I would love for you to tell it back to our audience. But when it hit me for the very first time, it kind of went in but didn't do a lot. But then it kept coming back to me week after week after week before I finally made a decision that I wanted to tie in some form of giving back into my business. Can you just share the reason why you, you told us that at the live event and why you feel that's so important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's interesting is I remember back, oh, how many years ago is this now? Two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. I had dinner with Gary Vaynerchuk in New York and he yelled at me in front of a bunch of people. And he basically said like, Rach, the problem I have right now is that all of our interactions, you've been so arbitrary. Like, what does it matter how many employees you have? You could try to hire too fast to hit some number and hire all the wrong people and ruin your whole business. Like, and he said it and I was like crying in front. I, I feel like it sounds like I just ball all the time, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all do. You're just honest about it, right? Oh, is that how it works? Oh, I'm so glad. Cause I just thought I was the only one who was like crying. So, <laughs> um, it, it was interesting because he said this and it like hit me, but I didn't know what to do with it. And when I got on stage, when I was pregnant at Funnel Hacking Live, accepted my two comic book award, Paul and I felt like we were a million miles away from each other. And I just was so sad about that, that it started to make sense. Like, it doesn't matter what my business looks like if I'm not actually building a life that is what I imagine, that's helping others, that's strong in my relationships. And it took a while for me to truly digest what he said. And I remember I had this dream. And before I went to bed, I asked myself, like, what did that mean? Like, what did what Gary said mean? And what is my life about? And I was in Orange County with my sister and we were staying on the, like, on the beach so we could hear the ocean coming in and it was beautiful. And suddenly I heard this very clear voice while I was sleeping and it was, it was me saying to a bunch of people, let's go. Like, we need to go raise the level of the ocean. And I grabbed a bunch of people's hands and we went and stepped in the ocean and nothing happened. And I was like, we need more people. Like, we need to get more people to raise the level of the ocean. And so we went and we found a million people and we all grabbed hands and we stretched along the coast. We all took a step into the water and we saw the level of the ocean rise. And we all were cheering and we were so excited. And in my dream, I asked, but what does it mean? What does the water represent? And it was a very clear message that was given to me. It's never been about the water. It's about the people. And it's so crazy because this was so vivid to me. And I realized it's never about the money. It's never about the words. It's never about the life that you're able to live. It's about the people. And it just kind of brought me back to this whole concept of it's about the people. If you're not impacting people, what are you really doing? You know, if you want to build a fancy building, ask yourself, but how does this impact people? Or is this just about me building this building? Because it's never about the building. It's never just about the podcast. It's never just about, it's about the people. What do you feel is the most impactful moment that you've ever had? Oh, we've had so many. Um, and it doesn't have to be big. It could have been a small thing, just something that really made you feel like I've made a difference here. There was um, 
many Christmases we like to do single moms like outreach. We give single moms money for Christmas and for food and for presents. And there was a single mom who we supported one year and she had always made $5,000 per year with three kids with disabilities and it was tight. And about nine months later, I didn't realize that she like had joined my program and was taking action. And she said, Rachel, I'm making $5,000 per month. This is how much I used to make in a year. And she's like, for the first time ever, I'm having to like learn how to, you know, apply for health insurance and like all this stuff. Cause it's not subsidized. She's like, this is crazy. This is life changing. That was one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is all worth it. You know? That's amazing. If you were to strip everything back and do just one thing in your life or you're in business and I, I maybe take away from life. Cause I know you're probably going to say be a mom, but um, if you were to do just one thing for the rest of your life, what, what do you think would be that thing that give you the most happiness and fulfillment? Creating. I love creating. And I know that that has a lot of meanings, but TikTok is a really good representation for me of creativity. Um, and so I know for a lot of people, it's like stupid or it's dumb or whatever. But the reason I love it is because it's one of the very, very few places that you can actually just no limits create. And suddenly thousands of people see it and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But it wouldn't necessarily be TikTok. It would be a combination of writing and creating funny videos and just creating. If I could just sit and create, you know, 10 hours a day, I would. Well, I'd probably not far off in the, in the future, get Paul running the show and you can just create, right? Mm -hmm. Just do, do it that way. I, I, think, yeah. I, I think it's interesting because I, I heard a while ago, I was researching how I could find more happiness in my life. And a lot of people um, pointed to certain celebrities, people like um, Chris Pratt or people like um, Chris Hemsworth. And they said that you look at people like this and what they have in their life is a lot of joy and a lot of silliness, right? And, yeah. and you know, I, I suddenly, when I read this article, I started following Chris Pratt on Instagram and I noticed that mm -hmm. half of the things he was doing, at the time he was starring in the Lego movie and he had like his own Lego figurine of himself and he was making these funny Instagram stories. And I remember watching it and thinking like, this dude looks really happy. And the reason I share that is that I see a lot of that in you when you create. I remember you saying on stage that you felt like for the longest time you weren't being the true version of Rachel. And yep. a, nearly a year ago now was when I first heard you talking about TikTok. And it's really interesting to see it come full circle and be like, Rachel was right. But it's really yep. amazing to watch the, the silliness come out. And what, yep. what is it that drives you to, to be that way? And, and what do you think holds people back from it? You know, I'm going to start with what holds people back. Um, what I love about TikTok is it's created an outlet for my silliness that makes sense and it's appropriate because I think sometimes, like I'm a massive goofball, like super goofy. You've probably seen some of it. I am so goofy. I'm sarcastic. I'm silly. I'm stupid, like whatever. But when I do some of that on other platforms, if it doesn't fit the medium, people are like, is she dumb? Like, you know, or they'll be like, I think she might be serious when I'm being so tongue in cheek and so goofy. Um, and so it, that's one thing I think that holds people back is they feel like there isn't an outlet for them to express the silliness that 
doesn't always make sense in all of our lives, but that's one thing that holds people back. And for me, what was so helpful, wait, what was the first part of the question? <laughs> I was asking what, um, first of all, what holds people back from being silly? Um, mm -hmm. But what, what really allows you to be that way, I guess? Oh, okay. So what allows me to be that way is that I love laughing until all of my friends and family are laughing just because of how hard I'm laughing. <laughs> and so like I, silliness is very second nature to me. Like I can just, that's actually easier for me than being serious. Um, my team knows like I'm just a massive goofball, but what allows me is having an outlet where I know that it fits. And that's partly why I've fallen in love with TikTok. It's one of the only places where that really does fit any time of the day. And so it's funny because I think that that would have to be the closest version uh, to true me. I do let that silliness kind of slip out on other platforms, but that is like the truest version of me is the goofy side. <laughs> I like it. And <laughs> what's interesting is I'm seeing right now um, a lot of people talking about the, the beginning of the decline of social media. Russell was talking about it last year at Funnel Hacking Live. Gary vee has been very public about it recently about social reach getting more difficult and more challenging. And we're seeing, you know, TikTok having this ridiculous organic reach and, and being an outlet. What do you feel like are some important steps that people need to start to be taking now so that they can protect their business when things get a lot harder? Oh, this is huge. Um, start to diversify, like diversify where you are, especially once your business is established. Um, because I just, I do see some writing on the wall for several different platforms. And if you're just beginning, you don't have to worry as much about it because it's not going to impact you as much. Um, but if you're in a place where you're starting to be successful, start diversifying. And that's, I think, partly why I'm on almost every single platform is because I always recognize if I have 10 platforms, 12 platforms that I'm strong on, if one shuts down, no skin off my back, you know, like it's totally fine. We can just go and double down on the other platforms. I like it. And I, I guess my final question before we wrap up is really on um, the challenges of entrepreneurship and, and, and loneliness. Um, we're in an interesting position that we travel full time and it kind of makes it even harder that we're not in one place where our friends can be. But there's a lot of people who go through entrepreneurship who feel um, a sense of detachment, especially when they've walked away from a job and consistency and friendships and they're going out on their own. Um, what, what would be your number one piece of advice for somebody who's looking to try and get um, more friendship and connection in life as an entrepreneur? Ooh, there's a couple. Um, one that's really helpful for me, and I think this will be for you too, is recognizing your low maintenance friendships. Um, I so highly value my low maintenance friendships because I'm not someone that's amazing at consistent 24 seven, all the time friends. I was actually just talking with one of my team members about that the other day. Um, and we both kind of felt like we saw all these people from our high school and they'd get together and they, it seemed like they have the same like 10 friends and they get together every week and you're like, what the heck, am I missing something? But I've learned to really like identify and appreciate my low maintenance friends where we can go several weeks without talking and then we just pick up like nothing happened. Um, and that I have some of those friendships and I'm so grateful for that. But recognizing low maintenance friendships and not wanting something different than what you currently have, meaning, you may want that whole like, oh, we all get together every week and we've been best friends for 10 years and we take all our trips together, but that may not be realistic for 
you for me in this season of life. Um, but then the other thing that was really helpful for me was getting plugged in with masterminds. Um, that's been huge because it's like, okay, I know I have like this little home base and this place where I can deeply connect and invest for the next year, three years of my life. And this is a great place to call home. And I guess there's a final follow-on point for that, because certainly for me, investing in a mastermind massively changed um, what I thought I was capable of and, and helped me a lot. For somebody who's thinking about doing a mastermind or joining a coaching program with so many choices, like so many choices, how, yep. how would you tell people to go about picking their selection? Like, how do you find the right one for you? Yeah, good question. So first and foremost, before you make your decision, do your research. So go and find out like, you know, are, are these real stories of success? It was this hypothetical. Does it feel really planted? Um, <clears throat> I like to see if someone's been around for at least, you know, two or three years. That's, I know that that's hard to hear, but like, I like to see that someone's been around for two or three years before I'll ever join their mastermind or mentorship. And if they've been around for even longer, even better. So that's one of the things I do. But then this is a huge part. Once you've made your decision in your coach, men mentor, mastermind, give it a hundred percent. Like once you've made the decision, it's a commitment and give it your all. Meaning don't be like, oh, I should have joined that other mastermind because it's kind of like those people who are always like wishing for what they don't have. And I see that a lot with people when they join masterminds, they're like, oh, maybe I should be in your mastermind. And I'm like, no, you're just mastermind hopping. Go all in, get the results next year is a new year. You can always join a different mastermind next year. So yeah. that's, yeah, that's what I recommend. I think that's really solid advice, especially with the, um, being with someone for a long time, because you know, yeah. if, if you're going to, and a lot of these masterminds are expensive, you know, if you're going to invest 10 or 15 or $25,000, it's better be with someone that knows what they're talking about. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. Well, Rachel, this has been a super fun interview. I feel like I've just been asking stuff I'm super curious about, but hopefully people who are listening got some really good value as well. Um, I pretty much love all the stuff you put out there and I think it's so affordable and helpful and, and a lot of the time free, which is amazing. If somebody wanted to um, find out more about you and really dive into your world, where would be the best place for them to go and find out more information? Good question. Best place for them to go is rachelpeterson.com. All E's and a D in my last name. We have everything on there from our paid programs to how to work with us one-on-one -on -one as a client to all of our free content. And that website looks dope because you just had a rebrand too. So that's super fun oh, yeah. to check it out. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show. I massively appreciate you. I can't wait to see the next step and good luck with the future. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Bye everyone. Hey everyone, I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you wanna to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, we actually wanna interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com and then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out 
out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.